If you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. The passage of John chapter 8, the section we'll focus on this morning is John chapter 8, verses 21 down to 30. But if you would permit me, let me read this morning from starting in verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Begin this morning by asking you a simple question. What are the worst words that you've ever heard in your life? Whatever those words might be, they oftentimes rip us apart emotionally, sometimes even physically. For many, these words keep us from sleeping. These terrifying words keep us from eating. They keep us even from interacting with other people. Oftentimes, these terrifying words strip away the very will to live. What are the words that you have heard in your life that have caused you such great despair? Whatever these words might be that bring you such difficulty, they do not compare to the weight of the words that Jesus has just spoken to these Pharisees. His words to them are a warning of condemnation that no one wants to hear 
from the Lord Jesus. These words that he has spoken to them, he has said over and over again, and yet they reverberate throughout history because of their significance on a spiritual level for not just the Pharisees, but for all who reject Jesus Christ. In our message today, we want to look at two main ideas from this passage. One is that there is a great division that exists between Jesus and his enemies. While highlighting a beautiful and great unity that the Lord Jesus has with the Father and also with his people that believe in him. So basically, in our passage this morning, we are following along with Jesus uh, through this continual discourse at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's why I read the context of this passage this morning to kind of catch us up, that Jesus is still... uh, in a discourse with these Pharisees and and with the crowds of people there. And he is now more in a confrontational um, conversation or discourse with particularly these Pharisees that have challenged his authority, that have challenged his testimony, which are trying to publicly deny him before the masses. And he is trying to verify, as as we looked at last week, that his testimony is true, that he is following the rigorous, rigorous guidelines of the Jewish um, uh, judicial system. So he is not just bearing witness about his own deity, he is actually has the witness of the Father who also bears witness. Now remember, the Jews, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, thought Jesus was a blasphemer. He was a crazy person to them. And he is trying to uh, declare his deity. When he says, I am the light of the world, as we looked at two weeks ago, he is declaring that he is Yahweh God in the wilderness, being the one that guided and directed the people that had all now come to Jerusalem to celebrate in this Feast of the Tabernacles the beautiful provision, security, and salvation that Yahweh provided for them in the wilderness. And if you'll remember, they're, they're under the glow of the, the great torches in the temple, celebrating God as the great light, and Jesus stands up and says, I am the, the, the light of the world. I am the one that you worship. I am God, is what he's saying. And in declaring his divinity, what happens? Automatically, Satan and his uh, collection of uh, spiritual enemies come a, on, a, on, a, on an attack and an affront against the Lord Jesus for such a statement, trying to dislodge the, the truth that he proclaimed from his mouth, trying to dislodge that from the, the minds and the thoughts of the people who are listening. And so in, es- in essence, Jesus is in this battle with these disciples And what we will see at the end of our passage today is that he is victorious because many people believe in him. Now let me draw your attention to, for the sake of context, back to chapter 7. This sermon today will sound very similar to the sermon that Brother David Wagner preached back in 
a few weeks ago when he preached chapter 7, verses 32 through 36, because Jesus is speaking almost the, the same words. Let me read that in verse 32 of chapter 7. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm gonna, I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? They're thinking Jesus is going on a trip, traveling to another land. Well, he is and will be traveling to another place, a place in the spiritual world, a place in the presence of heaven. And so, the passage this morning is a, um, it's an expanded look at what he alluded to in verse, uh, chapter 7. It's an expanded look at um, where Jesus sees uh, a great division. He's declaring a great division between himself and his enemies. He says, I'm going away and you will seek me, but you will not find me. But in chapter 8, he clarifies that even more. Again, they're confused, but he says in verse 21 of chapter 8, he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. He doesn't say and you will die in your sin before. Where I am going, you cannot come. These are the words you don't want to hear from the Lord Jesus about your life. These are the things, the, the very words that, that are spoken here, these are the words that define your future. I know many of you in your life Because we live in a broken world, have heard tragic news, even this past week. And from an earthly perspective, it is the the greatest weight you have ever felt living on this earth. And let me tell you that it, it, it is in a very sensitive and yet very true way, it does not compare to if Jesus Christ spoke these words to you. Where I am going... You cannot come. Why? Because you will die in your sin. The Jews are still confused. Will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? In other words, they're thinking back to the the idea in, in the Jewish tradition where there was no salvation for those who committed suicide. So they are connecting to an old Jewish tradition that they believed, not that they found in the Scriptures, but that they believed. And so they're thinking, well, maybe he's going to kill himself, and and that's what he means by he's going to a place that we cannot come. The irony there is, is that, in essence, Jesus was responsible for his own death because he willingly went to the cross to suffer for his enemies. And by the way, his enemies are not just the Pharisees. His enemies are all born into this world without Christ. 
Let me say that again. His enemies are all who are born into this world without Christ. The distinction is pretty clear. He says in chapter 8, I am going away. Where I am going, you cannot come. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, meaning earth and humanity. I am not of this world. Although Jesus is 100% human, he is also 100% divine. So he was in the world, but he was not of the world. And so the division here is pretty simplistically clear, and that is that a clear division exists between Jesus and his enemies. Isaiah 59.2 is a very familiar verse, that your sin or your iniquities have made a separation or a division between you and your God And your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. There are many people in the world and throughout history who have convinced themselves that they are born into this world with innate goodness, with innate righteousness. And the Bible smashes that to pieces. Isaiah says, your sin has made a separation between you and God. You can even look back to Genesis chapter 3 and you can see that that division exists and is uh, represented in the fact that Adam and Eve in rebelling against God were cast out from the garden. They were cast out from the presence of God because they chose to rebel against Him. They became, in essence, His enemies. And every person that exists in this world, that is born into this world, is born into sin. What that means is that these Pharisees, if you'll see, Jesus says from from the, the, the first verse in this passage, you will die in your sin, singular. What he's talking about is the sin of unbelief. And the root of the sin of unbelief is our sinful nature. So in other words, you sin every single day because you are a sinner. You are sinful by nature. And so all humanity will die in that sin because we are guilty In Adam. We are born from Adam. Adam rejected God. And as our representative, we are in Adam for the rest of our lives unless we repent and turn to Christ, unless he transforms us. And so unless a person born into the world in Adam, born into sin, into the sinful nature, unless he is literally transformed and made alive and now placed in Christ, he will die in Adam or he will die in sin. So it's not about what you do, it's about who you are. And who you are is what you do. 
And so these Pharisees just represented the people that were in Adam or in sin. And thus, that is why they cannot go to where Jesus will be going. Theologian Lewis Burkhoff says, Man is by nature totally depraved. This does not mean that every man is as bad as he can be, but that sin has corrupted every part of his nature and rendered him unable to do any spiritual good. He may still do many praiseworthy things in relation to his fellow beings, but even his best works are radically defective because they are not prompted by love to God nor done in obedience to God. That's why the Pharisees, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, they're like, we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor. And then Jesus gives them the example of the, the, the good Samaritan. The parable there of, of these religious Jewish leaders that would walk by a man beaten and, and, and dying on the road, and only the Samaritan would really show love to his neighbor. This Jewish man hurt dying, only this Samaritan would do what was necessary to love this man, his neighbor. These Pharisees thought, as many of us do in the world today, that we do religious good. And as I said, the Bible smashes those things to pieces, saying that even our righteousness is as filthy rags to a holy God. See, it's about God's holiness. It's it's about God's perfection. And how could we ever dwell in the presence of a holy God with our sin? With the stain and the corruption of sin in our lives? As Jeremiah talked about this week, as I was reading through Jeremiah, he was, he was prophesying the judgment to the people of Israel. He was saying, you take lye and you take soap and you try to wash away the stain of sin. And you can't do it. Because it cannot be removed with earthly things like soap or degreaser. It has to be washed away by the blood of the Lamb. So when we understand this division that the sinful nature brings, we understand then that it manifests itself into the actions of the heart and those sinful actions are against the Creator who made us and cares for us. Our unholy acts uh, are, are acts of war against God Thus, we stand before God deserving His justice against our sin. We declare so easily how we want justice for the oppressed of this world. So many people cry out for the justice of the oppressed, but they deny the reality that they stand Deserving the justice of a holy God against their sin. And so Jesus is clearly laying forth an, an important truth, and that is that myriads of people, including these Pharisees, 
People throughout time and history have already, are currently, or will die in their sin because they did not believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Their unbelief is the product of sinful natures that are inherited from their father Adam at the beginning of humanity. And that they are responsible for their open rejection of the Lord Jesus. Romans 6.23 The first half of that verse says, The wages of sin is death. Romans 5.18 and 19 Part of those verses say, Therefore as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men. Verse 19, first half, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So this is the place where the world stands. Whether they understand it or not, whether they believe it or not, they stand in a state of guiltiness and sin before God. But would you notice the hope Would you see the hope and the mercy and the grace that Jesus gives us in chapter 8, verse 24? He he repeats himself. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That little phrase, for unless you believe that I am He, is hope. You know why? Because when Jesus Christ returns back to the world, He won't say that verse. He won't repeat those words. The opportunity has been erased. This is an opportunity. This is like a pause with the remote for these Pharisees to hear one more time that unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. The fearful last words of Jesus are to a a person dying on their deathbed, reading verse 21, I am going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Someone on their deathbed, reading those words, have lived a life of rejection and rebellion against God, and not reading verse 24 and understanding that they still have an opportunity with every breath that they take, every beat of their heart, that they can believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. In other words, that little phrase in verse 24 is an opportunity for hope. That if you, at the sound of my voice, look at yourself and understand yourself to be someone who cannot pay the penalty of their sin, who cannot do enough righteous or good things to earn their place in heaven, that they are not born into salvation, if you understand these things, then you understand yourself to be someone that is going to die in their sin, and yet there is hope for you to believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, In life, no one comes to the Father but through Him. There's still opportunity. There's still opportunity for you to believe. And it isn't believing what you want about Jesus. It isn't believing what is pleasant about Jesus. It is believing the way that Jesus reveals Himself. The truth that Jesus reveals of Himself and the life that Jesus reveals through Him 
That is what we trust in. That He is the Messiah. That He is the eternal Son of God. That He is the one who has sacrificed Himself. And that His work on the cross, being the substitute for our sin, is the only work that will satisfy the wrath of God. The only work. The gospel is believing in this Jesus that died and was buried and was rose victoriously from the the dead, defeating sin, death, and Satan. It's believing in those things and saying, it is finished. He can't, he he, he has no reason to do any more, and I can't do any more to add to it. It is finished. So unless you believe that I am He. For your English translations, that's just a sentence. But in your Greek translations that maybe you have stored away at home or maybe you haven't purchased yet at the bookstore, you see the very famous words there in Greek, ego I me. For unless you believe that I am He. That's really important because those same two Greek words, ego, I, me, which is I am, or I am He, connects Jesus to His divinity. It's a declaration of His divinity. It's the same words that are used when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. It connects the minds of the Jewish people that Jesus says, with you, he says, unless you believe that I am he, he's not just saying, he, he is saying, as long as you believe I am all the things that I've said I am. But even more importantly, if you believe that I am who I've declared myself to be as God throughout history. If you would write in your notes Isaiah 41.4. Speaking through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah. God says. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning. I the Lord the first. And with the last I am he. If you take that Hebrew. Translate it to the Greek. You're going to have the same phrase. Ego I me. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, there shall, uh, there shall be any, uh, nor shall there be any after me. Isaiah 43.25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So the opportunity for humanity is to believe that Jesus is He. That He is the Son of God. That He is the only way of salvation. 
That he is the only way who could sacrifice himself and being both fully God and fully man, the perfect and only sacrifice worthy to bear the wrath of God for sinners throughout history across this globe until Jesus Christ returns. So just as myriads of people have already, are currently, and will die in their sins because they do not believe in Jesus, the Son of God, so also myriads of people have trusted, are trusting, and will trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and thus they will live in His righteousness, by His amazing grace, and for His supreme glory, enjoying Him for eternity. Hold your place here in John. Keep your hand there, keep your bookmark there, flip over a couple pages to John 14. Listen to the contrast of what Jesus says to his disciples. Not his perfect disciples, but his disciples nonetheless, chosen before the foundation of the world, still still on course to make a lot of bad decisions, and yet his people, his disciples, the future of the church, listen to what he says in John 14, the famous funeral sermon or scripture verse that you're familiar with. Let not your hearts be troubled, verse 1 of 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. The Pharisees, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot come. You are from below. I am from above. You are not of this world. I am, or you are of this world. I am not of this world. To the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that, I, that where I am, you may be also, and you know where I'm going. That's the difference. That's the division. That's the distinction. And it all hinges upon Jesus. It doesn't hinge upon religion. It doesn't, hit, it doesn't hinge upon good works in this world. It hinges upon believing in Jesus Christ so that He bears the wrath of God for your sins. That's why so many times in the New Testament you see that we are in Christ Earlier I read this passage, for the wages of sin is death, right? But, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you either are dying in your sin or you are living in Christ. Again, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so also one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous, that's Jesus. 
So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the question is simple. Because there is a distinction between those who are dead in their sin or alive to Christ, the question is, are you alive in Christ? Well, I don't know. How do I know if I'm alive in Christ? Have you trusted in his finished work for salvation? Do you believe, which means trust, it's not knowledge, it's a surrendering trust. Do you trust that Jesus Christ accomplished all that was necessary for the forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future? Do you rest in that? Do you find hope in that? Do you live differently because of that? Being in Christ means that He has given us a righteousness that we could never attain for ourselves so that we can stand before a holy God and His holiness will not consume us because of our sin, but instead we don the, the righteous robe of Christ which would allow us to enjoy the presence of a holy God for all eternity. So there's a clear division. If you're a sinner dying in your sin this morning, believe in Jesus Christ. If you are living in Christ, then live for Him day after day. And take the message of this division, of this separation, take it to the masses and preach to sinners that there is still an opportunity to believe and trust in the finished work. And finally, if you are living in Christ, find hope and confidence in the gospel. Find hope and confidence that those dreadful last words that you are, 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 are wrestling with and, and being weighed down with, give them to the Lord Jesus and say, there are more important things than these difficulties of this earth. There are greater truths ahead of me. There is hope. There is confidence. There is healing in eternity. And then Jesus gives us why we can believe those things. Verses 25 through 30, the main idea that Jesus focuses on is simply, and I believe he's not speaking to the Pharisees anymore. He's, he's kind of, he's, he's argued his case, but now his focus is on the unity between the Father and the Son. And he's speaking to the masses because there are people in, in his uh, sphere of, of, of listening, this audience that, that, that he is speaking to that can hear this conversation, they understand and worship the Father. So by understanding, their, their, their eyes become open and they begin, begin to see Jesus and the Father are one. That the Father really did send Jesus the Son into the earth. And that all the things that he is doing are pleasing to 
the Father. Which is why they believe. The Pharisees stand confused. Verse 27, John gives us this little, this little uh, note that says basically they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Which he's constantly shown us. That he has constantly revealed to us. But the acknowledgement that Jesus is from the Father, that he is doing all that the Father has given him to do, is de- he is simply declaring that he is the obedient Son of God who has come into the world according to the command of the Father. And for an unbelieving world, this is meaningless. But for, for us as believers, the unity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit in the work of redemption is remarkable. Remarkable that the Father chooses us and the Son dies for us and the Spirit allows us to live and, 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 and work or, or, or worship Him in this world. That the, the, the Father has marked off before the foundation of the world that we are His people. And that, that Jesus Christ saves us and, and sacrifices Himself as the obedient Son. And the Spirit seals us and guarantees our salvation. So that we stand back and we're like, Whoa, that's all of God. Whoa, that is, that is an amazing work of the Father, Son, and the Spirit in saving me. Why? Not to make me important or, or significant, but to bring glory to Himself. That He can take the vilest enemies of God and transform them for His work and for His glory. And so meditate on the obedient Son of God in perfect unity with the plan and the purposes of the Father. Because in understanding those things, understand that Jesus came into the world and to accomplish the work of the Father, the plan of redemption, and you're a recipient of that. And in that unity of the Father and the Son... In that unity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, you are a recipient of that unity. doesn't mean you're a part of the Godhead. But when you are in Christ, you are spiritually connected in amazing ways. Listen to John chapter 17. Jesus speaks of our unity with Him as He is unified with the Father. John 17 verses 20. Jesus is praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their, through their word, that they may be one just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the hope that we have in Christ, that we are in Christ day by day, 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, resting in the grace of the gospel, as we fail the Lord Jesus Christ, as we falter in our walk with Christ, we are commanded by the the Scriptures and the Spirit to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ. And guess what? The gospel's still there. The grace is still sufficient. The Spirit is still guiding us. We don't lose those things. By the power that saved us is the same power that keeps us. So the eternal unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we get to enjoy in that unity because we are in Christ, which means the unlimited and unamazing power that we can't even conceive with our mind is the very thing that keeps us day by day in the gospel. Folks, there is no reason whatsoever that I am qualified outside of what Jesus has done in me to stand here and preach to you. Nothing. Doesn't make me any more significant than you, which means that you also, empowered by the Holy Spirit and His Word, can do great and amazing things by the power of God for His glory, even in the midst of the failures that you have as you're in your walk with Christ. If you're trying to uh, attain a certain status before you can faithfully serve the Lord Jesus and be used for his mission and his glory, then you are confused. He He uses fallible people. Because it's his power and his mercy and his grace and his spirit that does a work in broken, messed up people. Doesn't mean we can live the way we want, we strive for holiness, we turn from sin because our hearts are changed and our desires are changed. But that unity that Jesus is speaking about is our encouragement because we get to share in that. And so Jesus is giving this glorious confirmation for those around him. This doesn't apply to the Pharisees because they don't understand. But he is giving them this glorious confirmation that should encourage the hearts of those who will believe, that will encourage the hearts of people beyond who will read this and say, yes, yes, Jesus is the Son of God and he is united eternally with the Father and the Spirit. And because I am in Christ, I understand that power and I can live in that power and grace that was accomplished through the cross. And so we can be encouraged and we can be challenged by this unity as we live. As we live, as we look at what Jesus says, he says that he will be lifted up as the Son of Man. And upon that being lifted up, you will know that I am he. And that I have done nothing on my own authority but to speak just as the Father has taught me. That lifting up has actually a dual meaning. It means that Jesus will be lifted up upon the cross, suffering for sinners, but also a lifting up to heaven, an ascension to heaven into glory. And I was really challenged into thinking that these are both and a part of the glorification of Jesus Christ. 
Meaning that he should be glorified upon the cross because of what was accomplished. And that his glory continued as he was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven into the glory of heaven. All of that points to the glorification of the Son of the living God. And as we look upon those things and we think about them, because we are in Christ, we also should live in such a way as believers, as people united with Christ, that we should live in the same way that Jesus is living. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. How are you living? Are you living as if Christ is your authority, your king, that you are in Christ? Are you speaking in such a way as the the scriptures teach us, which are the very words of God? Are you resting in the fact that you are not alone, but as as someone who has been freed from the spirit of slavery? You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Are you resting in the fact that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ? Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This is the encouragement and the hope that we receive when our earthly minds and our earthly hearts hear tragic news. Our children don't believe. Our bodies are dying. Our world is full of war and hatred and injustice and brokenness and suffering and death. How do we manage? We manage and hold fast to the truth that we belong to an eternal God who sent his son into the world and died upon the cross so that we could be freed from the slavery of sinfulness, so that we could be transformed from enemies of God to children of God, sons and daughters of God, inheritors of the blessings that God provides us. And in that confidence that we have in Christ, we have no reason to fear that Jesus would say, where I'm going, you are not going with me. But instead, we will trust in words that Jesus would say to us, such as, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me encourage you this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ to rest in those truths. Earlier we sang the very words, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Brother and sister, trust in that. There is no earthly news that you will ever receive. There will, there's no earthly news that you will ever receive that can strip away from you 
your identity and your belonging in the Lord Jesus. It will be difficult. It will cause great suffering and despair. But in the simplest, most elementary ways, the Lord Jesus has you. Rest in Him. Trust in Him.